Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before We are so thankful that you are able to join us today. Pastor Mark Robinette welcomes you and our guest speaker. Today, Kyle Nickerson preaches a sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. Today's message is entitled, The Mercy of God and His Patience. Our readings are from Genesis chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 23. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to our website at www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you through his most holy word. Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our soon coming King. Greetings. God has been merciful to us. Can we say he has? We had our election, obviously, this week, and many of us, even me, were tempted to worry about it and tempted to worry that the outcome somehow uh, affected this truth. But whether God would have installed Hillary Clinton as our president or uh, Donald Trump, either way, God is merciful to us. Amen? Amen? There are some things that I have seen that have been encouraging to me, but we are yet to see if this is God's mercy or his judgment, we, we don't know. But either way, he is faithful to us, just like God calls us to be, even with our own children. When we discipline our children, we are being what? We're being merciful to our children because we love them and we don't want them to uh, grow up and live lives uh, outside of God's law and, and, and then incur God's wrath and his judgment. So it is a merciful thing. And David understood this and he sang about it in Psalm 103. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities and healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth my mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man... His days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall not know it no more. 
But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting unto them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to them that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you today, your people, so humbled by the fact that you have invited us into your presence. Lord, we understand that you are a holy God and we understand that we are still walking in the stains of our sin. But Lord, you call us unto you anyway. And as you call us, you don't leave us covered in our filth and our sin, but you wash us in your blood and you forgive our sins and you call us into a deeper and closer walk with you. Lord, we long to hear your voice. We hunger and thirst after righteousness that comes from you. Fill us, feed us from heaven today as we gather in your midst. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. standing for a few moments as uh, Kyle comes to preach to us the Word of God. Um, I don't really know that Kyle needs an introduction, but I'll give him a little one anyway. Um, It was in 1987 that I met Kyle, and we were both in a place that if we mention it to people that we know today, everybody snickers. Uh, We were at Jimmy Swaggart Bible College together, and uh, at that time we were both young men, boys practically, and uh, we spent time together, you know, neither of us were married, neither of us really knew exactly what God was going to do with our lives, uh, but I am, I am proud to say and thankful to say uh, that, that Kyle, uh, over the years, has been a faithful friend, uh, I might even say the most faithful friend that I have had for this long period of time. Uh, if people, you know, when I, when I do my passwords, you know, uh, and they want to know the name of my, my best friend, uh, I put Kyle. So if you need to break in, uh, uh, anyway, I love Kyle. I appreciate Kyle and, uh, he loves you and he asks about you. He gets updated about you. He knows what's going on in most of your lives, uh, and, uh, has always been a part of this church for, uh, a really long time and a part of my life. So please hear the word of the Lord from Brother Kyle Nickerson. You, what we normally do is we read our text and then you pray and then you start preaching. Okay. Glasses. Okay, my text will be a text that we've already read this morning or a portion of what we've already read. And it will be in Matthew 23, verse 23 and 24, or verse, yeah. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Let us pray. Father, it is our heart's desire to see you more clearly today, to understand you better, that your mercy would be abundant in our lives, and not just your mercy, but your law, that we could understand these things well and glorify your name better by demonstrating them to the world, that they could see you more clearly, that we would represent you well and make you look good. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Andy is a theology wonk. I, too, am a theology wonk. I've probably listened to 70% of those conferences several times. It's just what I do. I, I do remodeling, and it gives me time. So I've probably listened to every teaching session in the teaching series and most of those conferences repeatedly. I've heard R.C. preach the book of Acts probably five times. <laughs> It's just what I do. I love to do it. I can't get enough of it. It helps me. It stabilizes my understanding of who God is. And it gives me uh, great confidence in the Word of God. And I just love it. Can't get enough of it. In fact, I would say it's been like a little mini seminary for the last three years for me. It's been about three years since I started doing that. And I was working for a fellow, so I had a lot of time to do it. Now I'm more running my own business, and I'm finding I don't have the time to do that. And I miss it. I really miss it. And reading books is hard because it's time-consuming for me because I'm a slow reader. I pretty much analyze everything I read as I'm reading it. So just to your point, uh, I think that that is a a wonderful thing, Uh, Andy. uh, Keep it up. And, And I'll have some things to say about that today, actually. So... Uh... Am I going to be heard like here and then over here by that? You just, that's not your concern. All right. So I was teaching last week at another situation about how darkness and then light, evening, then morning, the first day. And I was teaching about the, Refor- the, the, the Reformation, post-Tenebras Luke's, after darkness, light. And I was trying to explain how God... In the rhythm of Scripture, is in a process of self-revelation. He's very interested in letting us know who He is. And that's not easy. Because He's invisible. <laughs> and he's, he's transcendent. And so He has to do things to show us who He is. And in His grace and mercy, He does very well at it. <clears throat> so... You know, God is often accused in the Old Testament of being a harsh, difficult, mean guy, which couldn't be further from the truth. And so we see the Pharisees, they're not getting something right here. They're not getting a lot right, and it's because they don't understand who God is. And God wants us to understand who He is. So in the Old Testament, we see the Ten Commandments. We see Mount Sinai. We see thunder. We see uh, fire. 
We see, we see the land open up and swallow people into the ground. We see snakes kill people. We see whole countries decimated at the command of God. We see the whole world destroyed in a flood. That's tough. That's tough stuff. That's a mean, mean God. That's tough. Isn't that what most people think when they see the Old Testament? Boy, that's, that's, that's a mean God. But is God really mean? I told my wife that I would preach this message today and not cry, I hope. And that's just not going to happen. God is not a mean God. God is a merciful God. And He's a tough guy. He's not wimpy. He's a merciful God. So, let's see what happens here in, in the text. We're going to go to a few sections of text. I've got to hit my stopwatch here. Uh, what, how much time do we have? Just Whatever it takes. Okay. That's what I got. I got the... That is what I love about this church. You have good form, as the pirate would say to Hook in the Peter Pan. Good form, Peter. But you're very heartfelt. I like the way uh, Tim prayed. He said, let's pray. I I love that. I I love that because that's where we live. That's where we live. That's where God is meeting us. That's where the supposedly mean guy lives. The supposedly mean guy meets us at the front of the church and makes it okay to say, let's pray. We're not wearing a robe. Nothing wrong with that. It's great. If you want to glorify God with a robe and display His majesty in the form of great grandeur. But that's not where God meets us. God meets us in a manger. God meets us on the street. God meets us in your room. God meets us when you stub your toe and say, Rekasekabekarek. God meets us in our day-to-day lives. And there's nothing more day-to-day than our lives. I know that's kind of redundant to say that, but that's where God meets us. God says, hey, say my word so that it's in your heart. It's not far from you. It's right there, and that's where I am. You know, the Scripture... um, Well, let's just go to the text. It says, You have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. What is justice there? You see, the word justice here and mercy, they have antecedents to them. They're not just isolated. See, that's what's tough about being a theology wonk. If you're not careful, you get caught up in the math, I call it. That's what what, uh, Sproul calls it, too, the math. We get caught up in the math. That's what the Pharisees did. They get caught up in the math. And the math is very cold. Numbers don't lie. The accountants get upset when the numbers aren't in. But, you know, so you're late on your bill, and then you call, and you have to talk to a human being who softens up the numbers, right? Well, you know, I stubbed my toe. (laughs) I had an incident. I had a circumstance. And they say, well, okay, sir, I see that you haven't done that before. Maybe I have. You haven't done that before, so we're going to let it go this time. See, that's when the cold, hard numbers become soft and meet us where we live. And that's who God is. 
God is meeting us where we live. But this word justice here is, a, is, a, is an expression of God's justice, his righteousness, who he is, his self-expression of what? Right and wrong. Earlier in the text it says, you know, you should do what these guys tell you to do. You should do what they tell you to do, but don't do what they do. <laughs> They're not doing That's exactly what it says I'm quoting. That's a slight paraphrase to that quote, but it's, that's dead on what Jesus says. Hey, when they're telling you to do, my law is real. Listen to it. I mean every word of it. I, I am a theology wonk. I, it, it's a big deal to me to get the details right. I want the details to be right. Because we want to get it right. But here's the catch. Why do we want to get it right? Well, because we love Jesus. Because we're, we're very concerned about displaying who he is properly. But he's not a mean guy. He understands when we make a mistake. He's merciful. So he says, the way to your matters, justice. I want you to get justice right. I want you to pay attention. You should have not neglected getting it right. Mercy. He says, justice and mercy. Now that's where they miss it. Isn't that where they miss it? And there's reasons why they miss it. And we're going to look at that. A lot of times my biggest problem is getting it all in. Condensing it down to what can fit in my little time slot. So what is mercy? Mercy is that guy that comes along and says, Yes, Mr. Robinette, we'll let that payment come in late. Because we understand. We're human too. The law was not made to drive you into the ground. It was there to remind you that the due date is on the 30th. And I want you to pay attention to the due date. And it's not fluff. I want you to get it right. I know you got it wrong this month. And as many times as it takes you to get it right, it could be seven times 70. I want you to get it right. Don't neglect Getting it right. Why? Because I mean and I love to make people get it right. It's just what I do. I get a kick out of it. I don't watch the NFL on Sundays. I tally up the roll and see who got it wrong. I'm Santa Claus. I check my list twice. I see who's naughty and who's nice. Because there's nothing better than zapping people on Sunday afternoon with a bolt. Now, does God do that? Yes, he does. Absolutely. There's reasons for why he does all that. We're not addressing that in particular at this moment. We could. But that's not what we're driving at today. Two things I'm, 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 I'm focusing on are the weightier matters, Jesus says. Okay, so Jesus gives weight to something. He says you should not neglect getting it right. That's not what anybody's talking about here today. He says, but you have no mercy. You blind guides get it wrong. You're just... I guess we'll have to get that in a few minutes. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But you're getting it wrong, fellas. You're driving people into the ground. You're making widows give you their last penny. Because it's the law. Yeah. You know, uh, this is what's wonderful about a small little church like this. Is you, you feel each other's needs. You recognize where you're at. You know when Bob has a circumstance and 
Mary has a need. Those are fictitious people in this church. And that's why you, you can come to someone's aid and say, oh, you're a little shy this month. Oh, we have to help somebody out. Somebody needs to go watch their children. Well, if you'd have just done a few more things right, you wouldn't need that. Well, I guess you're right. Guilty is charged. It's a good thing we have mercy. It's a good thing that we're not... Okay, the letter of the law... Here's what sinners do. Here's what the law does. The law, the law brings judgment and has no concern for the circumstance or the context. It's only concerned about getting the math right. And you know, sinners who don't know Christ, there's, there's, there's a couple things going on here that I think Jesus is very concerned about. He's explaining what these weightiers are, are, but I think he's very concerned about something here. He's very mad that these guys are not giving people a good picture of who God is. I, I think that's his big deal here. God in his self-revelation through the history of the scripture is a constant unfolding and so we can get a bigger picture. You know, the Lord makes a call to sinners and nobody comes to the party. I'm having a party. Come on, guys. And nobody comes. They give excuses why they can't come because they really don't want to. That's the key to that text. They really don't want to. So he says, well, I'm going to have a party because I'm a good guy and I want people to know it. I mean, that's kind of egotistical if we said that. But if God says it, it's kind of true. And he wants people to know. You see, there's, there's, only, there's only so many ways God can show us who he is. And in, in, in Romans chapter 9, it says, what if God wanted to demonstrate his mercy? What if he wanted to demonstrate his math? God can get up there and say, hey, this is who I am and this is what I do. And so he gives us the law. He gives us uh, the ceremonial law to teach us more about who he is. He gives us all kinds of clues to tell us who he is. But he has to demonstrate these things. And what the wicked heart does, what the wicked heart does, is says he's just a mathematician. Now, what the Pharisees do is they say, therefore, let's get our calculators. <laughs> we got to get the math right. If we get the math right, we're in good shape. Hey, get the math right. Hey, you, if you don't get the math right, you're done. Is, is that sounding cold to anybody? Now, listen, these guys, they're trying to do it right. Pharisees are trying, they're part of a movement to get it right. Because the whole nation has got it wrong. And let's, give them, let's just give them ground and say they're right. Let's say everybody's got it wrong. We've got to get it right. And they just happen to be at the top of the pile. So getting it right it happens to be a beneficial thing for them. He says, woe to the Pharisees. He says, woe to the Pharisees. Why? Well, because these guys are not on the right side of the fence. I get an inkling from this text that a lot of these guys are not truly believers. I just get that feeling. Now, there's some Pharisees who know Christ, I, I would imagine. There, there are, I mean... Joseph of uh, uh, Nicodemus, 
He was a Pharisee. I'm sure there were many Pharisees, the scripture says, that believed. But this crowd he's talking to, he says, you are the prophets. You are the ones who stoned the prophets. That's who you are. You're the guys who put all my messengers to death. Do we all remember that parable? When Jesus had the, the, the Lord of the, the Olive Garden or the... the, the uh, was it an Olive Garden? Not just a garden. He's, he's got a land far off and he, and he has people tilling the land and producing fruit on it. And it takes a little while to get a return from that. But then he's, he's sending messages to say, hey, how's my, how's my land doing? How, how's the fruit of my, 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 my investment doing? Well, they stoned that guy. And they beat him up and they sent him away. And he keeps sending people to find out, but they keep mistreating him. And he says, well, I'll send my son. Then they'll listen. But they'll never listen, will they? Because they're of a wicked heart. And they kill him. That's who Jesus is. And Jesus is saying, you're the guys that I was talking about that always continually beat up, stone, and kill my messengers. Woe to you. I mean, Matthew 23 is an ominous chapter for the Jews. He says, woe to you for all the blood of all that is rolling down on top of your head. And this is the end. This is it, guys. You won't see me again after this point. So... uh, I'm going to take us to one text. We're going to, I just want to demonstrate what God does. Really, what I'm concerned about today is, okay, so that's, that's our, that is our indicative. That is, that is the seat that we're in today. God is both just and merciful all at the same time. All at the same time. See, we, we have a hard time with that. We're humans. We express one emotion, and until we feel a different way, we, we don't express the other. But God expresses both equally at the same time. And I would say that he expresses things. Um, he, he, he deliberately expresses certain things at certain times for certain purposes. He's not subject to his, his passions. His passions are subject to him for a purpose. And that's what we have a hard time with as humans. That's where I'm driving this message today is, how are we doing with mercy? And how does God display himself with mercy? Okay, so... I'll just flip to that text because we have a little bit to go here. It, I'll just refer to it, the adulterous woman. If it, it, Okay, I'm borrowing a little bit from what you were talking about a few months ago. God comes to the adulterous woman. Now, I'm thinking she's feeling pretty beat up at this point. She knows she's guilty. I mean, can you imagine being dragged in the public square and you've got the elders of the church wanting to call for your head? Not a good feeling. And you know what? She's guilty. I'm guilty of stuff. Anybody guilty in this room today? Do you want me to drag you out in public and show everybody that? Okay. Now, when Jesus sees this situation, he doesn't join in. He doesn't say, well, you know, they're kind of right. We do have a situation here. Jesus understands what's at stake here. They don't know who God is. They don't understand what sinners need and how God wants to deal with sinners. 
And after he runs off the Pharisees, the first thing he does is, does he say, well, you should be thankful, I saved you from a sticky one. Does he say, uh, listen, I, I am a little miffed, but I'm letting you off. The first thing he does is ask her a question. I love that. He doesn't tell her anything. He asks her a question. So, um, who condemns you? He asks her a question. When you see people that you think ought to be one way or another, is your first motive to fix them? Or to ask them a question? All this comes from my personal experience and how the Lord has had to teach me how to deal with people that, I, that don't fit the math the way I see it should fit. They don't fit the math the way I think it should fit. And is my first, is my first inkling to stone them or correct them, fix them up, or simply to ask them a question? Because you know what questions do? They help that person move. And they help me draw it out of them, and they help me understand them. Now, Jesus doesn't have any issues with, do I understand this woman? But I do. I have a, I have a real hard time with understanding where someone is coming from. You know, I, Mark was joking about my, my daughter was going to get some highlights in her hair and make put like little auburn highlights in her hair. And, it, of course, it doesn't even look, it's almost where we wanted it almost now because it's fading. But she came back with these bright red streaks in her hair. And I said, wow, hmm. I don't know how that's going to play in two weeks. I thought, we should fix that. And then I thought, well, maybe not. Maybe the Lord has that in mind. Because if you, if you see my daughter come to church today with bright red streaks or tattoos, like you said a few months ago, is your first question, is your first thought, well, we got to get the math right? Or is your first thought, who are you? How can I help you? I want... I, I, I want to demonstrate who God is to you. How can I best do that? And I'm not going to know that until I know your questions. I mean, until I ask my questions and get some answers. I've, I've had to learn the long and hard way how to be patient, loving, and kind. That's a little mantra I have in my family. My wife sometimes will say, and I'll say, honey, honey let's just be patient, loving, and kind. <laughs> you know? And I'm not preaching at her. That's me. So, there's another time in Scripture where this guy Joseph is fixing to get married. And he can't wait. He's looking forward to it. See, this is the heart of the law. We're about to discover the heart of the law right here. Because, you know, really keeping the law is not as hard as we make it to be in the Old Testament. The, the sacrificial system, the ceremony, like, okay, all this liturgy today, if you don't do this every week, it's hard. If you do it every week, it's rote, no problem, and actually it affords you the ability to en- embrace it and be passionate in your liturgy. And that's what keeping the law was in the Old Testament. It wasn't cumbersome, it was the way life was. I mean... Uh, Thanksgiving dinner is a complicated meal, right? You got to do the turkey, you got to do the stuffing, you got to do all the. Oh, that's a lot if you never cook. But if you do this and you you have a system, then you embrace it and you make that turkey taste delicious. 
And that's what the law is in the Old Testament. That's why the psalmist says, I love the law of the Lord. The Pharisees don't love it. They're scared of it. They've got to get it right. It's like cooking turkey dinner on Thanksgiving and you're nervous. If I don't get this right, no one will like me. Rather than, man, I cannot wait to embrace Thanksgiving dinner. Because I love Thanksgiving dinner. Have you ever tasted Thanksgiving dinner? It's fantastic. Now, sometimes you might burn the squash. Or you might blow it on the... And if your guests are nice people, they're going to go, Oh, well, turkey's great. And and if they're gracious, they're they're not even going to mention it. They'll go, wow, this is the best... Whatever doesn't taste that great. Right? That's the way it's supposed to be. So we got this guy, Joseph. He's got a nice new bride. He can't wait to embrace her, love her, make her his own. And he finds out she's pregnant. That's kind of a problem. We're back at the adulterous woman. Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but what kind of... Part of me says... What kind of low-down, scummy dog wants to drag that woman in the street and kill her? Now, I'm not saying you are if you do that. You're keeping the law. and you're Whatever. That's not my point here. I think you get what I'm saying. You know what the Bible says about Joseph? He didn't do that. Joseph had every right to have that woman stoned, according to the math. But the Scripture says, Joseph was a righteous man. Oh, I thought righteous men stoned adulterous women in the street. (laughs) I guess not. I guess righteous women, uh, men, love women to the extent of grace and mercy and rescue them from their sin. Oh my gosh. Isn't that the Christ that we serve? Has anybody needed to be rescued today? Because I have. I've been a dirty, rotten sinner. And I'm so glad he rescued me. And let me go. I'm so glad he didn't stone me to death in the street. I don't know why he did. I'm not here to answer the whys all the time. Because there's some whys that are tough that you'll never really know. But, you know, when you get to know the master, it don't matter anymore. So the righteous man rescued the adulterer. Not Jesus. And Jesus did it. And then he shows us what a righteous man does. Now, this is how we treat one another. Now, I don't always know who, who the sinners and the saints are. I don't always know who I'm supposed to be merciful to. Like, oh, you're not a Christian. Oh. Well, (laughs) the math is for you. Oh. Really? That's how it works. I didn't know. I thought God reigned on the righteous and the wicked. I thought God was long-suffering unto mankind. Now, I'm not a universalist today, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God is saving everybody in the world. I'm simply saying God is hungry. He's hungry to display His mercy. 
Okay, you know, we were talking about this whole uh, wall situation yesterday at, uh, at the hotel at breakfast. I said, and we were talking about how generous we are with the borders and we're merciful and we let people in. I said, but mercy without any rules is nothing. It's, it's surrender. You've got to have law to have mercy. My mercy means nothing if, if listen, if everybody just comes in the border whenever they want, then I'm really not being merciful to anybody, right? It's really moot. There is no mercy. We need the law. We need mercy. Mercy demonstrates what the law can't do, and the law gives us what mercy doesn't do. You see? It's fantastic. Because the law is just... The law is beautiful. It's what the law is. And it affords us to give mercy. Isn't that amazing? So Joseph was a righteous man, and he did not have her stoned. That's amazing to me. Okay, now, I just want to demonstrate one other thing, and then we'll swing it back around to some other things to finish up. Uh, In Matthew, we're going to get into some anthropomorphic language. But before we do that, let's finish there, uh, Matthew 23. Okay, in my Bible... They take a little liberty when they do this, when they write things. In verse 37 through 39, the title of that little section, they put Lament over Jerusalem. Lament over Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to say that there are saints in Jerusalem that are to be redeemed, have been redeemed, and will be redeemed. The appointed, the elector right there in Jerusalem. Do you think that's who Jesus is lamenting over? Jesus is lamenting. I got to tell you, call me a sap. Because I feel, you know, I'm smart enough to know that I shouldn't be this way, sort of. But when Hillary Clinton lost and I saw her in her losing posture, I kind of felt a little sorry for her. I had a little compassion for her. I know that would get me in trouble in some circles, but it's true. Nobody likes, we shouldn't be people who like to win and then dig our, I mean, now, sorry, if it's a Super Bowl, I probably would, you know, but I, I had fun at the last time we won the Super Bowl, but, um, you know, I'm talking on real matters that really matter. Jesus is lamenting. He's lamenting. It's not fake. It's not phony. He's not posh. He's not juxtapositioning himself to make it look like he's lamenting. He's not pretending to lament. He's really lamenting. Over what? Lost sinners. Lost sinners. Do you think that perhaps this is an expression of God's heart for his people? And to all? You know, the Bible says, but God so This is something Sinclair Ferguson taught me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him. We were at the ark thing yesterday, and my my precious daughter was getting the scope of it and feeling bad for the people that didn't make it in the ark. And I'm glad she felt that way. In fact, I wanted to protect her from that. I wanted to protect her from that. I didn't want her to feel that much pain because it's hard. 
Because I'll be honest with you, God's the only one that can do it. None of us would pull the trigger. None of us would shut the door. We would all go, come on, come on, come on. And I'll be honest with you, God did that too. God did that. He waited for mankind for a thousand years. God really does lament over the lost. God so loved the world. Okay, if we had, I know somebody who has some children, and they have a son who's kind of a lost cause. Hates everybody in the family, can't be dealt with, is hates his mom and dad kind of situation. And it's very visceral and very antagonistic, and he's not very loving. But I know that that mother dearly loves her son. And she's always hoping. She's always wishing. Now, she, she made that son. And she knows he's not... I mean, she's not saying that she knows he's not a believer eventually or whatever. You understand? That's just her son. For God so loved the world. He made a beautiful world. He made real people. He loves them. He wishes they would come to repentance, but he knows they won't. So now, he's hungry to demonstrate mercy. He's hungry. You know, I think of Jesus going to the cross, it says, for the joy set before him. A lot of us think that that's only because he's hungry to get his children, the appointed, the elect. You know what I think he's really hungry to do? Because going to that cross was not something he wanted to do. Why would a righteous man want to embrace the sins of others? It would be like putting on dirty laundry. A righteous man wouldn't want to drink that. So he says, look, if there's any other way. But I'll be honest with you. I think Jesus is hungry to show everybody in the world just how merciful his father is. I think he's hungry to show the whole world who God really is. I think that's at the core. I think the core of what Jesus is doing is to, to glorify his father in heaven. I think that's his first premise. And I think he can't wait to get to that cross for that reason alone. That and many. But I'll bet you he's hungry because he wants to display mercy. Because there's no greater mercy shown than in the cross. Judgment and mercy all at the same time. It's amazing. It's amazing. Genesis chapter 6. I want, to, I, want to, I want you to understand that God doesn't play. Okay, so why do we read about Cain today? That's chapter 4, but in chapter 6, why did we read about Cain? It had never dawned on me. I heard Stephen Nichols preach on this. The, the title of the message was East of Eden. I recommend it highly. And, you know, it dawned on me finally what the deal was with Cain. I mean, we know this, but we don't really know things. You know, some of us are slower than others. So that would be me. You know, me and Mark always sit around going, geez, where were we for 20 years? We really thought we had something going on. And then we, we meet these doctors of the church, and they teach us things. We just go, wow. You know, you know Cain, we, we try to figure out what was wrong with his offering. I'll tell you what was wrong with Cain's offering. His heart. Simple as that. Simple as that. Can you imagine? His, his offering is rejected and God mercifully, you know, the day you eat of it, you surely shall die. God, God could kill us right then and there, but He's merciful. He's extending His mercy because He doesn't... He wants to demonstrate that He's not just the God that says, surely you'll die, 
done. He wants to demonstrate that he's the God that says, but in spite of that, because I'm merciful, I'm going to produce something good from something bad. I'm going to show you who I am. Not just one side. Not the side that you accuse me of being. I think God is doing great things in the universe, greater than we realize, and it's a big task to demonstrate who he is. It takes a lot of things that he's doing. So he comes to Cain, and Cain says, uh, well, he's angry. And he says, hey, Cain, uh, don't let that do that. Now, why does he do that? Is he faking it? Is he just telling Cain because you got to do it, right? Or does he mean it? I think he means it. I don't think he wastes his time. I see the wheels moving. So Cain is uh, so Cain is has a rebellious heart, and God is telling him to do that. Now, you know, God is just. No one will ever stand before the throne and say, "You never told me." No, He did tell us. Yeah, but I never heard of Jesus. Yeah, but you saw my great creation. You have a testimony. You have no excuse. I was merciful to you. I tried to demonstrate to you because I'm real about that. It's not fake and phony. God is not not giving fake commands. Anthropomorphic language tells about a real condition. It just means that he's not subject to that passion. It just means that that passion is not what drives the train. There's bigger things afoot. But his mercy is demonstrated to Cain. So Cain has a wicked heart and says, well, you know, and he's upset about it. It's like having a rebellious son and he's upset. Now, who of us, if we had a rebellious son or daughter, wouldn't keep going and keep going and keep trying? Well, my heavenly father's better at it than I am. He's better than me. And he's going to do the same thing. Why? Because it produces a fruit in that person under righteousness? Not necessarily, but because it displays who he is. It might be to drive, and that may, in fact, as a result, drive that person deeper into destruction. But that doesn't say, all that says is God's mercy, not just His law, is sufficient, and that our sin is insufficient and will drive us away from Him. When confronted, listen, Jesus came and did a perfect job. He did a perfect job and we killed Him. He never preached a bad message once and we killed Him. Now that's a reflection on us, not on him. The reflection on him is, he came and preached a perfect message. That's what it says about him. And he says to Cain, he preaches a perfect message to Cain. So then we go a little further, and uh, Cain's really upset about it now. That, that, that seed is in him, and it's growing, and he's really aggravated about it, and he kills Abel. And he says, hey, Abel, uh, where's, where's your brother, Cain? And Cain says, oh... Danged if I know. And uh, the Lord says, no, Cain, that's not the way it is. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, he has mercy. This is, this is really nice. This is really nice. He says, so your curse is you're going to walk the earth and the ground's not going to produce lots of good crops for you like it used to. You're going to be a nomad. And Cain says, this is too heavy of a burden for me. What does God do with that? What does God do with that? He says, all right. I'll tell you what. I'm going to put a little seal on you and nobody can hurt you. Isn't that a nice thing to do? He didn't have to do it. He could have said, tough. But to display his nature, he says, you know what? I'm going to let that go. 
And I, and I, and I, and I okay, just to, to help out the theologians in the crowd here a little. God knew that Cain came from a bad tree. He knew that that was a bad tree, and it was only going to bear bad fruit. But to demonstrate all things, kind of like when the scripture says, let the wicked keep on being wicked, and the righteous keep on being righteous. He's saying to mankind, see, look, I'm merciful, and the tree grows up, and it's an apple tree, even when it's not producing apples yet. And as his lineage grows, who does he produce? Lamech, who's going to kill 70 times more revenge on his enemies than Cain did. And by the way, Cain's enemy was what? Abel. So God is saying, hey, listen, uh, just to let you know, even when I'm merciful, bad trees will only produce bad fruit. See, I extend mercy and look what happens. Now, is that fake mercy or is it real mercy? I think it's real mercy. But the real mercy to God's people is in the next part of that text when he says, but Eve had another child, Seth. And that's when people began to seek the Lord again on the earth. That's when the mercy of God comes to deliver mankind. That's, that's why we, uh, we reformed believers preach the way we do, because it's not that we don't believe in deep double predestination. We believe that people are committing sin and paying for it, and God is passive in that. He's letting them unto destruction, and then he judges them for it and drives some of them further into destruction. But to the righteous, he's showing mercy. He's showing grace. He says, I'm going to have a party. I'm going to have a a dinner. I'm going to have a feast. And so I'm going to show everybody that I'm not just the mathematician. I'm going to go and save some so that they can see who I really am. That those sinners don't represent who I am. They represent who they are. So when we go out, we represent... You know, God says... God says in in, in Genesis 6 that he was so disgusted with mankind that he was sorry. He regretted it. Now, is he really sorry or is he pretending? Is it real regret? I think it is. Now, that doesn't mean it wasn't ordained. It was also ordained that he would feel sorrow. How's that? It was also ordained that he would create a beautiful... Do you think it bothers God that he created a beautiful earth and we ruined it? I think it does. I think it makes him sorry. Sorrowful. I think it makes him lament. But that doesn't mean he made a mistake. It doesn't mean he had to change his mind. There's a little bit of superlapsarianism here. That's, that's, that's uh, theological talk for what, what's going on here. So, okay, so I say all that. I say all that to say this. It sure takes a lot to say this, doesn't it? I say all that to say this. I uh, sometimes God God will put you in a place that's not what you like. It's not not your wheelhouse. It's not. You may be in a job with people that are just so not you. This is your opportunity. This could be your opportunity. It may, you know, I, I'm not here to speak to each one of your lives, and this is where Mark gets to pick up from where I leave off. He's your pastor. He gets to help you work wisdom in your circumstance. Is this a circumstance where God has you that you don't really like it, and so you're learning to be patient, loving, and kind? Are you learning to show the mercy and the patience that God shows? Because, see, we don't know. We could be working right next to. A, a, a future elder 
and we don't know it. And we'll never know it if we're not patient, loving, and kind. Because I'll tell you what my nature is. is to just slap them under the rug. That has been my nature in the past. When I see circumstances, people, things, that I think that, and it's probably worse with believers. When I see people that are claiming to be Christians, that don't fit my mouth, I'm very quick to throw them under the rug. And I'm having to learn. I've been forced. I'm just telling you what I've been forced to do. I've been forced to be patient, loving, and kind. I've been forced to be patient, loving, and kind. And it's been good for me. And you know what I've found? That when I do that, and I don't forget the law, but I press those things at the appointed time, at the appropriate moment, in the right way, with grace, so that my speech is seasoned with grace. The Bible says, speaking to one another... With patience and loving kindness in uh, Ephesians. I find that when I do that, it opens the door and an opportunity for me to give them the law. <laughs> you see? See, I got the law in me and I want to hit them with the law. But the, the, but the Spirit of Christ wants to give them the law. And, and so sometimes we have to wait for when the moment is right to give them the law. Why? Because we want to nail them? Or because we know that the law is good? And it will help them. Like you said today, the mercy is in the discipline. But God has to meet that out, not you. You're just here patiently waiting. One man waters, another man sows, but only God makes it grow. I've had to learn, and I've seen people that I never would have thought would be listening and growing. I've just learned to address people differently. And then instead of them getting uptight or pushing me off, I'm going, Argh. they go, oh, I didn't realize that. Wow, I never knew that. Now, I'm not an elder at my church, so I don't operate with the same authority. But I am a brother, I am a believer, and I have opportunity to help people with some law. <laughs> but I also have the opportunity to help them with grace. Am I hungry to give them grace and mercy? Or am I only hungry to give them law? Or am I just patient, loving, and kind, waiting to see when God will let me do either? This is a very disarming position, but I've learned to embrace it. I've learned to be winsome. I've learned to just say, oh, okay. And I don't say anything. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Hey, what? Yep. And then that moment comes when they're open because they think you love them. They think you care about them. They think that you're not there just to tell them some math. I'm going to let the pastor deliver the wisdom to his people on how to do these things. I'm not your pastor. I'm here to give you some principles today from Scripture and let your elders and your pastors help you work out the wisdom involved in this, necessary. I just know for me, what grips me at the end of the day, and this is the driving force behind it, what grips me at the end of the day is I need grace. I need mercy. I I look at my little girl and I know she needs mercy. I know that what we human beings need more than anything else is mercy. Because we're we're one and done when it comes to math. We're not going to be successful with the math. The math is there to show us how much we need mercy so that we can do the math. So, today, I just want to say, we need to learn to be patient, loving, and kind. To some people, that that looks like soft-toeing the issue. 
or not, whatever. See, I'm not even here to push you around and tell you how to do it. I'm here to tell you, we need to love mercy. We need to love the law of the Lord. We need to love people, which doesn't mean to abandon the law. It may mean, we just haven't, it may mean, if the law is good, aren't you hungry to give someone the law? Because it's going to help them? I'm going to tell you something that I brag on Mark about at my church and in people I know. Oh, I know this pastor who really taught me this principle that when we tell people hard things, it's because we love them. We don't do anything if we're not doing it because we love somebody. That's what I learned from you, Mark. And I know that you haven't done it all right. And I know I haven't done it all right. But that's something I've really latched onto with Mark. Mark can seem tough. Mark can say some things sometimes I'll go, you said that? And then he'll explain the circumstance and we go, oh yeah, I understand, yeah, that makes sense. But this is the rule I keep in mind when I'm in the search committee or when I'm teaching Sunday school or when I'm teaching the men's ministry. I keep in mind, am I doing this right now? What I'm doing right now with this person, is it because I'm trying to love them the best way I know that will bring them to maturity in Christ? That's what you taught me, Mark. That's one of the things you've taught me. Yeah, Mark says, how did I do that? That's, what I, that's one of the big things I've learned from Mark. Because Mark's not a sissy. Mark's not afraid to say things that need to be said sometimes. But I know Mark's heart is to love people. I, I know that about him personally. And I know that that's the winner. That's the winner, winner, chicken dinner in this whole situation. <laughs> That's, that's what moves the train. I think anybody who knows Mark knows that he pastors sacrificially. And if you, when you see that, I was talking to, to Andy today about a guy who started a bank. When everybody knew that that guy was going to put all his money in, then everybody wanted to put their money in. Well, when you know that the pastor's all in, when you know that that guy who wants to share Christ with you is all in, he'll, he'll help you do something just as much as he'll help you understand, you know, do as I say, not as I do. That's the problem with the Pharisees. You, you, want, you want people who do what they do to mean something. That's what opens the door so that you can give them the law. See, now the law doesn't look like a bad stick. Now the law looks like the opportunity to fortify with vitamins and iron. So that's all I got today. So, praise the Lord, I pray that we can learn to operate in the mercy and the grace and the patience and the loving kindness of our Father in Heaven. Got to pray. Good thing I'm not under the law that much. So, thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your word. I pray that it would penetrate deep into our hearts, that the, um, this principle of who you are would invade our lives. That it would take, take root, and that it would affect our meditations and the way we approach circumstances. That we would think twice, that we would not shoot first and ask questions later, but that we would ask questions first. So that we would know exactly what medicine is necessary at any given moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we were looking for a good title for this message, and I think we found it. Winner, winner, chicken dinner.
So we get to this point in the service and we always come to understanding that we're coming to the table. And Kyle, I was deeply touched by that truth from God's word where God's showing himself in equal measures of judgment and mercy at the cross. Imagine if we were as hard on ourselves as God was on Christ at the cross. And we were as merciful. I don't think a lot of the people that disparage God because of our hardness would have a lot to complain about. David talks about lamenting that sometimes his behavior gives reason for the enemies of God to rail against him. But I think if we I think if we could shoot for that the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus where judgment which is what it was at the cross God's judgment on himself in the man Christ Jesus but his mercy on all of us That's a winner, winner, chicken. I feel like we've got to pray again, but we don't. <laughs> so when we come to the table and the bread is broken, it's a meal of mercy for us that came from the brokenness of the body of Christ. And so that judgment, which was so hard, so difficult to take for him, become such a pleasure for us. May we have that kind of mercy. So the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord. It is right and a good and a joyful thing that we should all times and all places give thanks to you, O Holy Lord, Father, Almighty, Everlasting God. Because you sent your beloved son to redeem us from sin and death and to make us heirs in him of everlasting life. That when he shall come again in power and great triumph to judge the world, we may without shame or fear rejoice to behold his appearing. And therefore with the angels and the archangels and with all the company of heaven, we praise and we magnify your glorious name. Evermore praising you and singing. Let's sing today about our thanks thanksgiving to God for his great mercy great is thy faithfulness oh great is thy faithfulness
Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.